Welcome to Resource on the Go, a podcast from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center on understanding, responding to, and preventing sexual abuse and assault. I'm Megan Thomas, Communication Specialist at NSVRC. On today's episode, we'll be discussing three key takeaways from the first ever completely virtual Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So this April was the first ever virtual Sexual Assault Awareness Month, or SAM. And we're going to be talking about how this year's SAM looked incredibly different than it has in the past, and also what we took away from it, and then how what we learned can apply to your work. So today I'm joined by Susan Sullivan, NSPRC's Prevention Campaign Specialist, and Mo Lewis, NSPRC's Prevention Specialist. And we're going to discuss some of these hard-earned lessons that we can all take away from this challenging time as we expand our outreach and prevention work. Susan and Mo, do you want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, thanks, Megan. Uh, this is Susan Sullivan. Um, I'm the Prevention Campaign Specialist for NSVRC. So what I do is I go ahead and create the theme and develop the resources uh, for NSVRC SAM campaign. And then also I manage our social media pages uh, throughout April and leading up to April. And this is Mo. I am the prevention specialist at NSVRC. I mainly work with um, state and territory health departments and coalitions and local programs who receive RPE funding, and that stands for Rape Prevention and Education Funding. That comes through the VAWA legislation. And I do a lot of talking with people, connecting people to others who are doing similar work, um, a lot of trainings, which are now happening mostly online, um, and creating resources. Thank you both. So during SAM this year, we were facing just completely unforeseeable and unprecedented circumstances because of COVID-19. Can we talk a little bit about how things changed this year? What were the biggest things you noticed? I mean, first of all, everybody was just kind of like, what are we supposed to do now? I know that a lot of folks moved to working at home, um, which I think was easier for some people than others, right? Um, we weren't able to have folks meet with clients in the same ways they had always been able to do. Um, a lot of advocacy takes place face to face. And so I think there's been a lot of ways we've had to rethink how we've been working. And I know it also really impacted Sam too. Yeah, that's right. It definitely impacted Sam because a lot of events that had been planned, you know, for weeks or, or months ahead of time had to be canceled there at the last minute and folks had to make the transition to virtual events pretty quickly. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to talk about what this moment can teach us moving forward because, you know, it's not just April that was different. Everything is different now. The whole world has changed. The way we interact with each other has changed. So. Why is it so important for us to reflect on the ways that advocates and communities and really everyone evolved in response to this crisis? Yeah, change was supercharged uh, due to the situation. And, you know, there was no way out. You really had to go through this. You, you had to sort of figure out a way to, to, to make your event happen virtually. Um, but it did go to show us that innovation can happen really quickly. And I think it's important that we not lose that perspective now or get complacent, that we should always be thinking through how we can grow our messaging and resources to meet the situation and grow with the audience. 
So I really agree, Susan. I mean, as things are moving online, um, I've been noticing as someone who works remotely all of the time that things are way more accessible now. And I think that's really important and something to like uplift and celebrate and also definitely keep going. So one of the things that I've noticed is that as a remote worker, now that we're all online for meetings, I can see people better and hear people better. Um, I've also been able to really be involved in more things locally too, like city council meetings that are being held online that are way more accessible. Um, one of the things that I noticed was that there are a lot of disability activists who are saying like, hey, how come all these forms of access that we needed before and asked for before weren't considered legitimate then, but they are now? Like this pandemic has really changed things and made people flexible in ways that we weren't before. So I think that just in terms of accessibility um, and making things like equitable and able for people to attend and be there is something that we can really continue to shape our work around as we go forward. Yeah, that's such a great point. And, you know, there are so many intersections in our work. We're seeing right now that the Black Lives Matter movement and activism to end police and racialized violence are really gaining momentum. So how are you continuing to see this theme? I mean, I think that there are a lot of people who are seeing these connections between these different social issues for the first time. Um, and I'll say it's particularly white people who are seeing these connections, right? So when we have this pandemic that we're getting data about and seeing that uh, Black people are being, um, are being affected at much higher rates and dying at much higher rates, um, I think some of that data comes out and people go, oh, I get it now. They're finally seeing this connection between our inequitable systems and how that's really directly linked to things like who is getting sick, who has access to like really good care or PPE and that sort of thing. Um, we see that there are really high rates of COVID-19 infections happening in the Navajo Nation. Um, and this is a, a group of folks that, you know, sometimes don't have you know, water or electricity and the disparities are really showing. And I think that even though these things have been here for a long time, um, this is maybe, I think the pandemic has, has made it more noticeable for people who have not had to notice this kind of stuff before. And I think that really it's also just highlighting um, in this really deadly way, all of the oppression that's just been baked into the world that we're living in, right? Um, so we have this pandemic that's happening, right? And then you add to that uh, the murder of George Floyd that happened and all of the other police violence against Black people. It's, it's always been happening, but now we have it on video. We have it happening during this time of pandemic. And it really feels like it's coalesced into a lot of new energy in this ongoing movement for liberation. And people are seeing how it's all connected. Um, so I think for us in our organization, like seeing these connections has been a really important shift that we've made um, in terms of thinking about like how does sexual violence connect to all of these things? How do we need to be thinking more about the different social movements that, that are impacting all of us and really impact sexual violence as well? Yeah, absolutely. So Earlier this year, Susan, you wrote a blog called Five Key Takeaways from the First Ever Completely Virtual Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And so we're going to talk in more detail about some of those points now. And in the blog, you said one of the first major lessons we learned was the importance of knowing our value as an organization 
and that by knowing our value, we're able to determine our focus and our direction. So what do you mean by knowing our value as an organization? So this year, you know, everybody was on such a tight turnaround time due to the circumstances. And there wasn't enough time for folks to redesign every single in-person activity or to accomplish, you know, every preset goal. So advocates had to quickly read the room and really see what action would be most helpful when considering, you know, what they were going to do, like what sort of virtual action they were going to take, if any. Um, at NSVRC, for example, you know, specifically, uh, we held back on sharing a lot of the content that we had planned for the month prior to COVID-19. And instead, we focused on sharing resources on our social media pages, for example, that felt most important to our online audience at the time. And since our online audience consists mostly of local programs um, whose SAM events may have been canceled, we really wanted to focus on sharing resources on uh, transitioning events to online spaces. So something that hadn't been planned, for example. Uh, we also wanted to share the message that, hey, um, Sexual Assault Awareness Month is still relevant, um, especially when thinking about consent. So, uh, that, you know, it, we sort of pulled out pieces from the I Ask for Consent campaign that were still relevant. Um, in this case, we leaned on sharing our digital consent materials uh, because that was a tangible way to make the connection between what was happening in the world around us, uh, which had switched, you know, so much to online communications um, and Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So, I mean, knowing what people, you know, wanted from us or needed from us in a moment and thinking about what we have, you know, uniquely to offer on our, on our platforms um, and on our social media spaces. It's, uh, you know, really about getting back to basics, figuring out what we're trying to accomplish through our work, um, and you know, who's looking to us from moment to moment and how we can meet, meet that need. One of the other things that you mentioned in the blog is the importance of reevaluating the kind of content that you're putting out. So what are some good ways to gauge what your audience needs from you? When it comes to online engagement, we can definitely look at, you know, metrics, look at what sort of posts are performing well, uh, not just in terms of, you know, news stories versus photos, but what sort of topics are performing well, what sort of current events does your audience engage with. Um, maybe there's a way that interest, you know, can play into the development of resources or help to de determine the direction of what you go ahead and create or share. But it's also important to pay attention to the conversation at large. So looking, you know, across social media at what other organizations are posting and sharing um, and issues that they're bringing up. And also for people who are doing prevention work, this is where good facilitation knowledge and experience can also really come in handy. So if you're working with a small community or group of people doing prevention, you can really talk together about how you want to shift your work in response to this moment. We, we really have enough knowledge and tools to be nimble and to try new things in prevention. I mean, at its core, prevention is really about creating the worlds that we want to live in. And I think this is a really potent time for us to be involved in this work. Yeah, and one of the things I think organizations are starting to recognize is the, the power differentials that they might have in their communities. So how can an organization recognize the power that they hold and then work to affirm and uplift other voices? I think that's a really 
important question. I mean, when we think about who our audience is, we really know that people look to us as a resource center to provide um, relevant information and evidence-based information. So it's really been important for us to kind of examine like what counts as evidence, who, who gets to say what counts as evidence. I mean, we're a mostly white mainstream sexual assault organization. And, you know, so are a lot of those who follow us on social media and in our email. And so that means that really our role can be really important in terms of, you know, sharing out our ongoing work to becoming an anti-racist organization, really making sure that we're uplifting the work of other folks doing uh, community-specific and community-based work, and then also really just passing the mic, too. Yeah, and I think part of NSVRC knowing our value is knowing what our role is, not in terms of, you know, just our own content, but, you know, thinking through how, how can a moment be an opportunity to share others' resources, voices, or perspectives. For instance, if there are observances that other culturally specific organizations are taking the lead on, we'll tend to reshare those resources or think through how we can uplift those efforts rather than, you know, create our own content. So it's really about being thoughtful and seeing every moment as an opportunity to think of, you know, how your voice can best be utilized. One of the challenges that organizations are running up against when it comes to knowing their value is this idea of a silo mentality. So what does this mean and how can organizations resist working in silos? I hear people talk about this a lot. And when I think about working in silos or the silo mentality, it's it's kind of like this, hey, I'm just here to end sexual violence. That's what I'm focusing on. I don't really have time to work on anti-racism or like even worse, not even seeing how racism and all other forms of oppression are the exact things that make sexual violence so common. Um, so yeah, working in silos is, is not great. Um, I think this has been one of the gifts of this pandemic is this really expanded understanding for folks who didn't understand before, right? That everything is interconnected. And we're seeing that really clearly now um, with everything going on with COVID-19. There's these intersections of healthcare, childcare, um, paid time off, sick leave, who has to go to work, who gets to stay home from work, how does institutional racism play into the care that people are getting or the access to care people have. Um, it's just really an important time to push back on this on this whole thing about silos you know our work really is connected and our roles can look different and that's okay we don't have to stay in the silos so one of the things I like to talk about is getting back to what your goals are in your work like if your goal is community connectedness you know in this time of COVID-19 you can think about doing mutual aid kind of work um, if folks want to make masks or collect specific items for a local center who's helping out um, getting to know your neighbors showing up for your community and helping out if your goal is like improving parent and child relationships there are ways that we can adapt our work as well so a lot of rape crisis centers are doing things like story time for little kids and then also sharing resources for parents about like how to have good communication with your kids especially when you're just around each other all the time um 
I think ultimately we really need to be examining how this movement has been steered and shaped into silos. Like that didn't happen on accident. Um, we also really need to be examining how this has created and upheld oppressive systems within this movement itself. Um, this is work that we have to do. And I think, um, I think it's going to be exciting and it will also require us to have a lot of humility and really look into ways that we can make systemic changes and give up power. Another one of the major lessons we took away from all of this was that new approaches can help meet people where they are. How does relying on the way that we've always done things end up holding back our prevention efforts? It's not just about how our own progress is stunted when we don't leave our comfort zone and stick to the way we've you know, always done things. But by reinforcing the status quo, we're usually leaving many out. We're inherently prioritizing who's familiar with us already and you know, who already knows to come, come to us or to seek us out. So it's really about thinking deeply about who we are and who we aren't reaching and acknowledging these gaps and seeking out opportunities to bridge them. You know, old strategies can't take us in new directions. For instance, SAM events don't reach everyone, even in the most normal circumstances. People who might not have gone to an in-person event in a normal year might be more likely to go to an online event. And so, um, you know, we all had to adapt in April and really quickly, but that shows us that we're capable of change, but also that we must change. But at the same time, it's okay to take risks and take chances, like try out new things like virtual events. You know, one of the biggest concerns that we saw during the transition to virtual events during SAM was the concern that, you know, an event wouldn't meet the mark. Um, but it's important to remember that not everything's always going to be a hit, but it's okay, uh, you know, because that's a moment where you can learn and have better information for next time. And the final takeaway we're going to talk about today is about being vulnerable. We learned that it's okay and important to show that we're human too. Yeah, I think that was a really important piece that we ended up learning. We held this webinar in the middle of April. We weren't planning on doing it, but with everything changing and people really scrambling to figure out like, how are we going to do Sam stuff? And is it even appropriate to do Sam stuff right now. We wanted to just create this opportunity for people to check in about how they're doing Sam and really give an opportunity for people to share like what they've learned, resources they're using and that kind of thing. Um, and one of the things that I thought was really powerful and like so helpful to people was when Susan acknowledged that this is just a really hard time and that honestly it sucks to have your Sam plans be kind of upended, you know, it's, it's a big disappointment. These are things that people plan for the whole year. Um, and that, you know, even though we're in a pandemic and there are lots of other things to worry about that, you know, the feelings that people were having about this were really valid. Um, and I think that it ended up being a really important part of the webinar and part of the conversation in general. Um, and I think it was really useful for us as this national organization to be talking about, you know, the, the bad feelings that can come with this and the disappointment and, you know, having that vulnerability. Yeah. And we, you know, the, in terms of showing that we're human, you know, we saw so many advocates working from home, um, you know, dealing with issues, real life issues like childcare, um, personal boundary setting with partners, healthcare issues, et cetera. And, you know, 
a lot of them were using examples from their personal lives uh, to teach lessons about consent. We saw that in the, you know, 30 Days of Sam Instagram contest. So, you know, that really came through um, more than ever, uh, that sort of personal side of, of, of the field, uh, you know, during this moment. So advocates, we're seeing them becoming more vulnerable, sharing their personal lives. And what do you say to organizations that maybe have worked really hard to develop a really polished corporate brand look and are now concerned that any shows of vulnerability might impact their credibility? I think it's such a good question. I mean, to me, they're not mutually exclusive. I would really argue that vulnerability adds to credibility, um, but I think that that is something that has not always been the case within our movement. Um, one of the examples that I think about is how we talk about survivors in the movement. We know that a lot of folks who are doing this work are survivors, and yet sometimes the way that we talk about survivors is as if they're like these other people, like these other people that we're working for, or working with, and, and not us, right? Um, so I think that this shift for us to make to like bring vulnerability back into our, our work um, is a really nice shift. I think I'm really happy that it's happening. I think that vulnerability can really add to someone's credibility. And I think that it's kind of a lesson that we learned in April with that Sam webinar that I hope we can bring into more aspects of our work. Yeah, and you know, coming back to vulnerability, I think part of showing that we're human is owning that, you know, that we don't have all the answers and, you know, we can, you know, make mistakes and, and, you know, but that it's important to take accountability and learn from those mistakes. For instance, on NSBRC's social media pages, on our Facebook page, for example, you know, when an audience member, uh, you know, leaves us a comment and lets us know that, you know, we could have used more sensitive language in a specific post, um, we always try to respond um, you know, make that change and, you know, acknowledge, you know, acknowledge that we're, we're working to grow in those moments. Um, but with, with social media, you know, there's, there's, the stakes always seem high. There always seems to be, you know, a pressure on organizations and, you know, therefore the individuals that are, you know, operating those platforms for those organizations to, you know, make sure that, you know, things are performing well um, you know, so it's, it's, it seems harder to take chances and be vulnerable sometimes. Um, but, but it's, you know, it, it's important to do and it's okay to do. So to wrap things up here, what we've seen is that these lessons are valuable both in the short term during April and moving forward in the long term. You know, organizations are going to continue to respond to unprecedented times, both, you know, because we're still in COVID-19. We're still going to continue to see the impact of that moving forward. And now we're seeing this ongoing uprising to end anti-Black violence, which is also really changing a lot of the ways that organizations are doing things. So before we finish up here, Susan and Mo, do you have any final thoughts you want to add? Learning how to best reach folks online is going to continue to be important. Uh, we can't lose perspective or, you know, momentum that the pandemic has brought about. We should always be thinking through how we can grow our messaging and resources to meet the situation and grow with the audience. That's so true. I mean, we can also apply these lessons to prevention too, right? Because prevention is all about creating the world that we want to live in. Um, 
I really think that moves to um, get rid of these silos and understand how our work is really connected with other social movements and the work to end oppression is so important. Um, I think that thinking about accessibility and how we can always make our work accessible is going to be so important. And um, I also want to bring up this um, point that Amita Swahin made. Um, they're the founder of Mirror Memoirs. And um, this is such an important point that they made months ago when this COVID pandemic started. Um, and they said, I don't know the exact quote, but they were talking about how um, there's all there's always been a pandemic going on. There's been this pandemic of um, childhood sexual abuse that's been happening. And I think that, you know, if we think about all of the pandemics that have been happening, that we just haven't considered a pandemic or um, haven't thought about in the way that we're thinking about COVID-19, um, I think that also could help shift the way that we think about our work too, is that it's not just this one pandemic, but it's a great many. And maybe we're noticing things now um, that we did not notice before. I, I will say like as white folks, as people who are in mainstream sexual assault organizations, but I think making those connections is just going to continue to be so important regardless of this pandemic or any other pandemic um, to create the world we want to see. Yeah, that's great. Thank you both so much. This has been a really great conversation. And I want to let the listeners know, make sure you can check out the full blog with all five takeaways at bit.ly slash virtual Sam blog, all lowercase. Thanks for listening to this episode of Resource on the Go. For more resources and information about preventing sexual assault, visit our website at www.nsvrc.org. You can also get in touch with us by emailing resources at nsvrc.org.